My name is Dan, one of the pastors here, and uh, I did have the privilege yesterday to be up at the fall retreat with my family and 265 others. I see some faces who were there yesterday. Uh, I am very sad to report back on the annual capture the flag game between the young adults and the youth and their families. The young adults really came on strong which may have been our downfall, and the youth just seemed to multiply until there were simply too many of them to overcome. So youth won this year, but the young adults will be back for revenge next year. <laughs> well, uh, I was born and raised in Minneapolis, Minnesota by my parents, Jeff and Renee. My parents took me and my sisters to church every Sunday. And at Sunday, we would hear stories about God, familiar stories about how God created the world out of nothing, uh, how he parted the Red Sea, how his son Jesus came to earth, died on a cross, and rose again. And you know, my parents grew up going to similar churches that believed similar things, and they heard similar stories. And they, for their whole lives, believed in the same God that I have believed in for my whole life, the God of the Bible. But... If I would have been born in a different time or a different place, it's very likely that I would have come to believe something different about God. For example, if I would have been born just two doors down in my neighbor Stephanie's house, I probably would have been Jewish, as she was and as were her parents before her. If I would have been born in Iran in the 1980s or in Istanbul in the 1700s, I, I almost certainly would have been a Muslim and believed in Allah. If I would have been born back in 500 AD in India, I almost certainly would have been a Hindu, believing in, in Brahma and Vishnu and all of the other Hindu deities. Go all the way back to 2000 BC in Mesopotamia, and, and I almost certainly would have been a pagan polytheist, believing in, believing in all of the gods that they worshiped. What if I would have been born in Palo Alto in 2023? Well, most likely I would be born into a secular post-Christian family that, that embraced uh, rationality over mythology and, and believed in science over religion. The, the reality is that, that where we are from and when we are from has a huge impact on the way that we see the world. And it has a huge impact about what we come to believe about some of the things that are most important in the world, including whether or not God even exists. This morning, as Mo said, is the second week in our series called Explore God, where we're looking at some of these big questions of life and faith. And last week, we were able to, to think about whether or not there even is a purpose to why we're here. And, and this week, we're, we're going to look at another really critical question. The question, is there a God? D does God even exist? And this is a question that, that I know is just deeply and profoundly shaped by the places that we come from, right? By, by, by the family that we grew up in, by the culture that we grew up in. This, the, the way that we think about this, this question is deeply shaped by our background. And yet this is a really critical question for all of us to consider because when, when it comes time to, to answer that question for ourselves, not, not just to take the answer that was given to us by our childhood or our family or our culture, but, but to really think about this for ourselves, we're going to find this is a question of profound importance. This is the kind of question that has the potential to shape the trajectory of the rest of our lives. 
And so we want to think about this question together this morning. Is there a God? And I know that for those of us here, we, we have all kinds of different histories with that question, right? There, there are some of us here, either in person or who are joining us online, who, who maybe for you, this, this is an open question. Maybe, maybe it's the fact that you've been asking this question that even has you here this morning. And if that's you, I, I hope that you find that there's something helpful in this message this morning and in the discussion that's going to happen after this. Uh, I hope that there's something helpful for you. You know, I know, I know there's others of us here, and, and perhaps this is most of us, who, who you have believed in God for a long time, years, maybe decades. And yet when it comes to the question, does God exist, perhaps you have a hard time articulating why it is that you believe what you believe. And I hope by the spirit that, that you might leave this morning having a little more confidence in how you might answer that question. But I think there's probably a third kind of person here this morning. And that's the person that, that maybe believes that there is a God. And maybe you've even believed it for a long time. But for one reason or another, you find yourself somewhere deep down inside of you just wondering if God really exists. Just about a week and a half ago, I had someone come up to me after a, a church event and, and say, you know, I'm just wondering if you have any advice for somebody who, who's struggling with faith and experiencing doubt. And this was someone who, who was a Christian, who had been walking with the Lord, and yet they're, they're experiencing this, this doubt. And I said, well, could you tell me, like, what, what is it specifically that you're, that you're kind of struggling with? Where, where's that doubt coming in? And he said, well, well honestly, it's, it's just doubt about whether God even exists. And that's not the first time I've had that conversation with somebody at church, right? Someone who's been walking with the Lord for some time, and yet you find yourself in a place where you, you're just not quite sure if you believe what you've always believed, or if, what you, if, you, if you still believe what you've believed for some time. There was a, a Gallup poll that came out last year in um, 2022 that was looking at America over the last five years, back to 2017, and kind of the religious beliefs that, uh, of Americans. And they found that 6% fewer people believed in God just between 2017 and 2022. And if, we, if we look just at young adults, the next generation, that that number was down 10%. So, so belief in God is on the whole, on the decline. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we just a little bit behind the times? Right? Are we just trying to hold on to something that, that it's time to just move past? Well, I would suggest no. That's probably not a surprise. After all, this is a Christian church. I'm the one who's standing up here teaching this morning. And yet there's also a lot of other really smart people, much smarter than I am, who, who would agree that this isn't, the idea of God is not something that we need to move past, that, that there's something deeply true about this. And there's all kinds of uh, different arguments that we could look at to defend the idea that God exists, kind of philosophical arguments. Uh, and those are well worthwhile. We give them really fancy names like the cosmological argument and the teleological argument and the anthropological, anthropological argument. All, all, you know, and there's, there's a lot there. And so if, if, if you're wanting to go deep on this, just Google reasons to believe that God exists and you'll find uh, some of these arguments that are really well thought out. But what I want to do this morning is something slightly different. 
What I want to do this morning, and my point really for us, is that if God exists, I believe that he does, then it would make sense that God wants to make himself known. And that God has actually given each one of us the desire to seek after him and the capacity to find him. That all of us, just as part of being human, have the desire to seek after God and the capacity to actually find him, which is remarkable if you think about it. King Solomon was one of the, the kings of Israel and he was regarded as, as one of the wisest people to ever live. And he says this in Ecclesiastes 3.11. He says, he, that is God, made everything beautiful in its time. He also set eternity in the human heart. He set eternity in the human heart. That, that there's something inside each and every one of us that, that finds ourselves hoping, longing, thinking, that, that there's something beyond us out there, something more than what we see with our eyes, something more than we, what we get to, to touch with our hands, that there, there's an eternity, an element of eternity that has been placed in our hearts. Blaise Pascal was a, a 17th century physicist and mathematician, and he says it like this. He says, what else does this craving, this helplessness proclaim, but that there was once a man in true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. The empty print and trace. People have summarized Pascal by talking about this God-shaped hole. There's a God-shaped hole inside each and every one of us. There's this feeling of emptiness, of longing, of desire, there's this quest to be satisfied, and yet it's just always a little bit out of grasp. And we, we try all kinds of things to fill that, and yet nothing is quite able to fill that hole. Do you ever find yourself feeling empty? Do you ever find yourself feeling unsatisfied? Maybe it's in your work, your career, maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's in your singleness. Maybe it's in the state of your physical health or your emotional health. Maybe it's in your financial situation. Do you ever find yourself feeling unsatisfied? We've all been there, right? We've all been there. And we try to grab these different things to, to fill that hole, to find satisfaction. And the reality is that, that whatever we try to place in there besides God is always going to fall short. We have this God-shaped hole. We have eternity placed in our hearts. Paul, who's an apostle in the New Testament, he wrote much of the New Testament. He was giving a, a speech, a sermon at one point in the book of Acts, and he begins talking about this desire that we all have. And in Acts 17, we hear Paul say this. He says, from one man, he, that is God, made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though, the, though he is not far from any one of us. God is not far from any one of us. 
And, and I think he, he's given us these, these signposts, the, the, these markers, these things in the world, these things inside of us that are meant to point us to him because he wants to be found. And he's given us the capacity to find him. There's lots of things that we could talk about that could fit this description, but I want to talk about three this morning. Three, three things that have been built into us, these desires that are common just to, as a part of what it is to be human. It's the desire to seek after that which is true, that which is good, and that which is beautiful. The, the desire to believe that which is true to, to live and to experience that which is good or that which is just or that which is righteous and the desire to, to take in that which is beautiful. That each and every one of us has these desires to, to seek after these things and the capacity to receive them. So I, I want to think about these three things because I think God has placed these desires in us in order to point us to him. So let's think first about this idea of truth. Each and every one of us wants to believe what's true, right? I mean, just, just think about all of the talk about fake news over the last few years, right? I mean, why do people get so upset about the idea of people disseminating fake news? <laughs> that is news about things that are not true, right? Trying to twist things. Because we wanna believe what's true and we want other people to have access to that truth as well. So when people begin spreading misinformation or lies, we become enraged because we want to believe what's true. We want to seek after what's true. And I think that's a desire that God has placed in us because he knows that if we follow that desire to seek after that which is true, and if we're honest with ourselves, we will eventually find our way to him. Tanya Lerman is a, a professor at Stanford just down the road. Uh, she's an anthropologist and she's studied the health benefits of religious activity or of belief in God in particular. And uh, she wrote an op-ed piece, goes a, a little bit back now, 2013 in the New York Times. And there, this is what she says. One of the most striking scientific discoveries about religion in recent years is that going to church weekly is good for you. Religious attendance, at least religiosity, boosts the immune system and decreases blood pressure. It may add as much as two to three years to your life. It's pretty interesting. <laughs> she wrote a, a book in 2020 called When God Becomes Real, and she takes the research a little bit further to talk not just about the physical benefits, health benefits of believing in God or being part of religion, uh, but also the emotional benefits, which almost seem more intuitive. Things like combating loneliness and things like that. So, so she has done the research to show that believing in God or being part of a church is actually beneficial to your health. Now, as far as I know, she's not a believer. Uh, I'm not sure if she believes in God, uh, but she's concluded that this is a good and healthy thing to do. So let me ask you, should we believe in God because it's good for our health? I would suggest no. I think that would be a poor reason to choose to believe in God. Because honestly, that just kind of sounds like fake news, right? This is good for you to think, 
And so let's not evaluate if it's true, let's just believe in it. But that's, that's not what we want, right? We want to believe what's true. So I think that believing in God, that we, we should not believe in God because it's good for our health. Rather, I think belief in God is good for our health because it's true. And we want to believe what's true. We want to embody what's true. We want to live what's true. And so we shouldn't believe in God just because it's, it's good for us. We should believe in God because we want to know what's true. We want to follow what's true. Jesus, when he came, he, he talked about himself as, as the way, the truth, and the life. But in, in one conversation, I love what Jesus says. He's talking to some of the religious leaders, and he says it this way. He says, I have come, that they, he's talking about himself, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. If we want to think about the health benefits of following God, Jesus sums it up right there, right? He's like, I came so that you might have a full and abundant life. We know that as Jesus showed up, he came as the healer. He came as the savior. He came to those who, who were destitute, who were outcast, who, who, who were downtrodden. And he came and he brought life to those people. Yes, following Jesus was good for their health, but that's not why they followed Jesus. They followed Jesus because they recognized that he was the source of life. And that in him and him alone, was found fullness of life, abundant life. And that's, that's what we want to experience, is it not? We want a full life. And we find that by following this instinct in us to believe that which is true until it leads us to Jesus himself. So I think that's one signpost, the first of three, this desire that we have to seek after the truth. A second signpost that we see is for that which is good or for that which is just, right? We, we, we want the world to be a just place. And when it's not, there's something that cries out in us for justice. I mean, just, just think about the most recent headline that you heard about, maybe it's a mass shooting, maybe it's an act of violence that's racially motivated, whatever it might be. And there's something in us that just goes, the world is not supposed to be this way. This is not the way that life is supposed to happen. And yet it does. And then there's something in us that just, we want more. We long for more. And there's just this sense that this is not right. And this isn't something that you have to teach people, right? Just walk into a room full of kids and give one of them a candy bar, right? <laughs> what happens? I want one. I want one. Oh, it's not fair. He got one. She got one. It's, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. Right? We want what's fair, we want what's just. If I give one of my kids in the morning a few more Cheerios than the other, it's like World War III is about to break out. And not because they're hungry, no, just because he got more, right? We're just born with this sense that, that we want life to be fair, we want life to be just. That, that, that desire, that sense has been placed in us by God. It's been placed in us by God because he is a God of justice, because, because he is working even now to bring justice into the world through his people, through systems of the world. He, he's working to bring justice. One day he will bring it in full when he returns and brings the new heavens and the new earth. But we have built inside of us this desire for justice that flows out of the very character of God. 
And God has placed this desire in us in part to lead us to him. I mean, where does this desire come from? Why do we think that the world should be just? Why do we think that she shouldn't get a candy bar if I get one? There's just something in us that God has placed there to point us to him. We long after that which is just. C.S. Lewis was a Christian writer and he was writing during World War II, especially right as, he, as the, the war was starting. And he wrote this book called Mere Christianity that started as this kind of radio show. Uh, and in that, he makes this observation. He says, human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave a certain way and cannot really get rid of it. Right? He, he's looking at the world crumbling around him with all that comes with a world war. And he says that there's just something in us that feels like there's a, a right way to live, right? That we expect that of ourselves and that we expect that of other people. And we just can't shake that feeling. We can't shake the, that desire to see justice and goodness in the world. And God has has created us as his people to be agents of justice in the world, to help bring the kingdom of God to earth through our actions, through our contributions. Another writer in the New Testament, follower of Jesus, one of the apostles, his name is James. And he talks about what, like, what really is true religion? And this is what he says. He says, religion that God our father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And he's saying true religion, what does it mean to really follow after the heart of God? It's to be people of justice. And so he takes the case studies from his world, orphans and widows, who were the ones without a voice, without power. They were the poor, they were the marginalized, they were the helpless. And he said, true religion, right? Religion that comes from God is to care for those people. It's to listen to that instinct inside of you for justice and to be agents of justice in the world. So God has given us this desire to, to, to seek after justice and to help bring justice in the world. And it's something that's meant to point us to him. One more, one more signpost. We have truth, we have goodness or justice and beauty. Beauty is another thing that God has placed in the world and a desire that God has placed in us that is meant to point us to him. Uh, about a month ago or so, I was with the Young Adult Fellowship and we were up in Yosemite. Spent four days up there together. Uh, and we took a hike one of the days and we came to this view here. This is a view from Mount Watkins. We're about 5,000 feet above the valley floor. You can see Yosemite Valley there, those trees in the middle. You can see Half Dome there up on the left. And as we walked here, as we, as we got to this point and looked out, I mean, it, it almost just took your breath away. It was almost otherworldly, right? Like, almost fake. In fact, some of the pictures that we took, like with people in them, you're like, oh, that's not a real background, right? It's like too too beautiful almost to be real. And being in that place, and the picture doesn't capture all of it, there's just this sense of awe and wonder at, at the sheer beauty, the, the, the magnitude, the majesty of what you're looking at. It's this, this moment of transcendence, 
right? And maybe, maybe you've experienced this before. Maybe, maybe it was at a beach or maybe it was in the mountains or looking up at a starry sky where, where we have these moments where, where it's like we just can't deny that there's this feeling of transcendence. There's a sense that there's, there's something out there. There's someone out there that's bigger than us that, that's responsible for this in some way. It was an amazing moment that we had there. David, another Old Testament king uh, and a, a poet, and he wrote many of the, the poems that we have in the Old Testament, especially the Psalms that we find. He writes about this in Psalm 19 and says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. It's like creation, nature, the universe. There's something in that that just cries out of the glory of God. And we felt that when we were in that place. Paul, again, the apostle who wrote much of the New Testament, uh, he, he writes about this as well in the first chapter of Romans. He says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood by what has been made. He says that there's something about creation. There's something about beauty, especially the beauty that we find in nature that, that is meant to teach us something about God. Show us something of his power, of his glory, of his magnificence, of his beauty. And he's placed this desire in us to, to seek after that beauty in order that we might find him at the end of it. But do you know what I find very interesting? When you're in Yosemite looking up at this view and you're looking out, there's a few different ways that you can interpret what you're seeing. Right? One of them is like what David says, that the heavens declare the glory of God. Right? You, you can see that and say, wow, the power of God is on display, the glory and the beauty of God. Like this is, is, is an amazing place that God has created. That's one way to interpret what you're looking at. There's another way. As you look around at all of this granite, you, you, you can talk about the way that this granite was formed millions of years ago as magma slowly cooled in the, underneath the crust of the earth and was pushed to the surface through vol volcanic activity over millennia. And you can look at this valley, this huge gorge in the middle of all this granite, and you can talk about the glacier that came through and carved out the rock as it went millions of years ago. Two, two very different ways to interpret the same thing. And so which is it? Is it natural or is it supernatural? Is it the result of just earth science doing its thing or is it the hand of God? Or could it be both? I wonder if it could. I don't know if you remember this picture uh, from a few years ago of the dress that broke the internet. Uh, does anyone remember this? Yeah, a few. Okay, so this was posted on Facebook in 2015 and it became very famous very quickly because for some people, when you look at this dress, you see a dress that is black and blue. For some people, when you look at this very same photo of the dress, you see a dress that is white and gold. So let me ask you today, how many people right now see this as black and blue? Okay. How many people see it as white and gold? Thank you. Okay. I'm, I'm in the white and gold camp. Okay. 
Unfortunately for those of us in the white and gold camp, this dress is not white and gold. This dress is black and blue. But something about the way that the photo was taken and the background lights and the colors and what's happening in the camera, when you look at it, you might see two very different things. Now, now, now let's play a little game here, okay? If you see it as black and blue, try to see it as white and gold. And if you see it as white and gold, try to see it as black and blue. Can you do it? You can't do it. Most people can't. Most people, you see it one way, and that is the way that you see it. And there's nothing that you can do to change it because your brain is taking the bits and pieces that are there and it's, it's doing what it does and it's saying, this, this is what that dress is, right? It's, it's, there's nothing you can do about it. So, so let me ask you, now we're back in Yosemite, we're, we're looking up at this mountain, natural or supernatural? I think sometimes we think that, that either it has to be one or the other and that there's nothing that we can do to change the way that we see it. Or we think about this desire that we have for that which is true, that which is good, that which is beautiful, and say, you know, maybe some people interpret this as, as God has placed this here. These things are pointing to God, but I just don't see it. And there's nothing that I can do to help myself see it, just like the dress. Well, maybe so. Or maybe, maybe belief in God is something more like this other image here. Maybe you've seen this one. This uh, was an image that was created um, by a, a German artist in the late 1800s. Uh, and this image also has two different interpretations. You can either see a rabbit or a duck. Okay, so the rabbit is facing to the right. The ears are the, on the left. The duck is facing to the left, and that's the beak, right? two very different interpretations of the same image. Okay, how many people saw it as a duck first? And how many people saw it as a rabbit first? Pretty even. But if you saw it as a rabbit, can you see the duck now? If you saw it as a duck, you can see the rabbit? It goes both ways. It's a both and, right? So could it be that when we think about those transcendent moments that we have in nature. You can get into the psychology of that, right? That there is an explanation scientifically for why you feel the way that you feel in those situations. Right? This desire that we have for, for moral order, for justice. Right? There are explanations that people can give for how that evolved and developed over time. But could it be a both and? Could it be that as you look at the facts, that there actually is something that you can do that would impact the way that you see the evidence, the way that you interpret the evidence? Could it be that the signs that God has given us are more like the duck and the rabbit than they are the dress that truly is black and blue? There's a story in the Gospels where Jesus is, uh, he, he's out and about and this father comes up to him and this father has a son who is sick and he's possessed by a demon. And, and this father asks Jesus to heal his son. And Jesus says, anything is possible for the one who believes. And this man says, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. And what he's saying is, there's a part of me there's a piece of me 
that believes that you could do this, Jesus. But there is also a piece of me, and I think for him it was the bigger piece, that was really wondering what was going to happen here. Does Jesus actually have the power to make my son well? He'd been sick for many years. But he says, I believe, it's part of me, help me in my unbelief. I think that is a prayer that we can take into this question about the existence of God. Right? You, you, you pray for someone in your life who's sick. You want to see them get well. And so you pray. You don't even know if God exists for sure. You don't even know if you believe. But you just pray, God, would you, would you heal this person? Or maybe somebody you know prays for them. And then they get better. Okay, what happened? Well, was it just the body doing what it does? Or was it the, the, the doctors who've been trained and the medication that's been used and the treatment protocol that was given? Was the body just doing what it does in those situations? Well, maybe so. Or did God heal? Did God act? Did God answer your prayer? Well, maybe so. But the way that we interpret that, it's going to require some faith. Lord, I, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Most of us are not going to get to believing in the existence of God purely based on the cold, hard facts. There, there is an element of faith. We need to see the evidence through the eyes of faith. And God says, you know what? You can actually ask me to help you with that. I want to help with that. I want to help you see things through the eyes of faith. We're going to sing a couple more songs here in just a few moments. And uh, for those of us who are followers of Jesus and believers in God, uh, we call this worship, right? This is singing. It's praising God for who he is and what he's done, saying things that are true about him, expressing our gratitude to him. But if you're here this morning, if you're joining us online, for you, perhaps that this might not be an opportunity to, to sing and to worship, perhaps for you, this is an opportunity to notice and to pay attention. What's happening? You know, when you're in a place like this, it can just feel good to be here. Right? I'm around people. Right? I'm not alone. I'm in community. This feels good. Maybe there's something there. Is, is there something to this? And now we're going to sing. And, you know, music is a powerful thing. Like music has a, pow a, a huge power ability to, to shift your mood and to change it, to uplift you when you're down or to take you down when you're up, depending on what you're listening to. As you hear this music, if there's something in you that says, Some, man, I wonder if something's happening here. Is it just the music? Well, maybe. That's one way to interpret it. Or is it something more? Is it the presence of another? The presence of one beyond and above us? Could it be the presence of God here with us? I think so. And so my invitation to you is to just be open. Be open to interpreting this experience in the next few minutes through the eyes of faith. And as you go this morning, about the rest of your week, could you be open? Could you be open to just interpreting the evidence a little bit differently than maybe you did this last week? And just see what God might do. So I want to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray for us as we get ready to sing. Lord, I pray that in this moment, 
your spirit would just come and would fill this place. Lord, we know that you are always with us, that you are here long before us. And so we pray that, that we would be able to sense your presence here, that we could have an encounter with you, an experience with you. And Lord, I pray that as we seek after you, a desire that you have given us, that we would find you, a capacity that you have given us. Maybe we could find you here this morning. Maybe we could find you in our lives throughout the week. But we ask that you would make yourself known to us.